Welcome to the Color Auntie Podcast. My name is Grace, joined by my co-host, Kozan. And we are so glad that you're here with us. We're just your northern girls trying to live our best life. We're here to help you through those dreadful morning commutes, or if you're just wanting to hear Quay out of things you may be experiencing, because both Quay and I have been there. We don't really know what we're doing in life, but we're hoping to figure it out with you along the way. <laughs> yeah. So listen, your podcast aunties love ya. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Color Auntie Podcast, Chapter 2. We have a new guest on that we're so excited for. Uh, Ashley is a mother, daughter, partner, and former sociology student, a lifter, and an advocate, and a business owner, and all-around badass Cree woman. We first heard about you from an episode on Two Crees and Pod. You and everyone should definitely head over to their page. They're on Spotify. They have Instagram and give their show a listen. So Ashley, welcome to our podcast. Hi. Hey. (laughs) So I'll let you give a little introduction of yourself uh, before we roll into our questions. Okay. Um, Well, Tanse. So my name is Ashley Albert and my indigenous or spiritual name is Red Willow Woman and I am 32 years young (laughs) and I have been, I don't say battling because I'm trying to really reframe the way I think about it, but I have been given the challenges of cancer since I was 28. and through that time, I have went to university and started a business and raised my kids and went to Strongman Provincials and just a whole bunch of things, a lot of things on the surf. That was actually surface level stuff. But I've also did a lot of like healing work and just rewriting myself, essentially. Um, my major was sociology and my minor was anthropology. Um, and currently I have my primary job, which is a family enhancement worker at Wakutuan Society, which is child welfare, but it is on reserve. So it's, it's outside of the provincial, um, CFA and it's more DFNA. And what my goal was with accepting this job was to help keep our indigenous families together help keep our kids out of child welfare and to bring healing and all of this experience that I carry and all of this getting through trauma and all of this, you know, education with me back home and trying to help. And it's a lot of like behind the scenes stuff and it goes unnoticed a lot of the time, but that's okay because as long as it's helping our communities as a whole, I'm so happy to be just that little tiny piece of part of it. Oh, that's so special. Well, thank you yeah. so much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah. Um, so I think we just want to dive into more on who you are. So um, can you tell us where you grew up and kind of your family life and siblings and I were color aunties. So we want to know if you are an auntie and <laughs> yeah. I'll pass it back to you. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. So I grew up in Goodfish Lake, Alberta, um, which is a small reserve two hours northeast of Edmonton. 
Uh, so we're kind of like in this weird split with like satellite Cree Nation. And, and of course with INAC or whatever they're called now, like Indian Affairs, <laughs> like funding is so weird. So we're technically one band, but we're split. And it's like this political thing, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, that's where I'm from. And I have 11 brothers and a sister. Now my mom raised two, two foster kids and I take them as brother and sister irregardless. And yes, I am an auntie. So I have, and I'm actually a cook'em technically as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, my oldest niece from my, my brother Curtis, she has a little boy. So yeah, I'm cook'em Ashley, I guess. <laughs> so how did you, do you think that your, or how was your life impacted growing up with only brothers? Cause I grew up with only two other brothers. And I also found that I'm very rough. Like my friends who have only sisters, like my Crystal and Faith, my two friends, um, they have only sisters and they're like, Quinn, you're kind of rough. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you, find you that say that well? like it's a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the thing about like indigenous families is I mean, and I grew up on the res, right? So literally my cookum lived next door. My other cookum was right next to me. You know, I had cousins like three steps away. So it was, I still had a lot of like female influence in my life. However, I was always a tomboy. Like, like the very, okay. The first time I got my period, I was playing football. Like I was tackling the boys and like, I'm bleeding. What happened? Uh, oh, yeah, oh, you got your period. So it was like this, what? And I think a lot of my boy cousins were kind of like, wait, you're a girl? They're <laughs> <laughs> oh, just exactly. tackling them so often. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was kind of always a tomboy, I guess. Like I haven't really started wearing makeup makeup until I got into my 20s. And even then it was just thin. And, really? and I think I started exploring a lot of like playing with makeup more when I got sick because when I was bald, I had, you know, I didn't need to do my hair. I just slapped on a wig. So I had like 20 minutes and then to get ready. And I started to use that to practice blending. And if I, when I was in the hospital, I would watch YouTube tutorials and mm -hmm. tapping more into my feminine energy that's so cool that like that was when you explored and found a new hobby yeah yeah something to like try to like uplift myself because mm -hmm. there were moments like I remember when I first got sick and I lost like 65 pounds like I was jacked like the most jacked I've ever been like my I had bolder shoulders and oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah and then in like two weeks of like not being able to eat because I had an obstruction and being in the hospital and them not being able to calm down the infection I lost 65 pounds in like 10 days wow of and, muscle and of muscle yeah and and I went to like 90 pounds and just there was a moment in my life where I couldn't even look at myself like 
I disassociated completely, like who, how I felt inside and what I seen in the mirror was just, it didn't connect for me. I literally had to put, um, I had to put towels over every single mirror in my house mm-hmm. until I was like, no, I'm not going to focus on how I look. I need to focus on how I feel and what's like happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's been all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All over the place. But that was necessary at that time. Mm-hmm. For sure. Do you think that makeup was powerful for you in that moment? Yes, it was. Uh, I well, makeup came a little bit after I'd say like the second. So when I got, when I had to cover the mirrors, that was like more in like 2018. Okay. And I worked on on just rebuilding the inside and trying to like, I was really angry that year. Like, like, why the fuck did this happen to me? Like, I was so young. I did everything right. I didn't smoke. You know, I wasn't a drinker. I lived really healthy. Like I worked out and, and really like working through those layers of things. And that's, that's when I had to find answers at a deeper level, at that spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And when I had gotten sick, it, it just, things happened for a reason. Like when the cancer started to come alive and active, it was right around the time that my baby turned three. It literally, I was in a hospital a day after his birthday and not, like, you would don't think anything of it. Just like, oh, it's just, it just happened at that time. But doing the spiritual work that is the first time that, uh, you know, I was sexually violated. So like that, that little Ashley in me really mm-hmm. was like mirrored through my baby. Mm-hmm. So it was like that connection that, and that protection that I have over him, mm-hmm. it was like awoken. And then it just, it just opened up this doorway of like, you can't run from this anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you, when you mentioned like trauma blocking, I was mm-hmm. very much into that positive, um, positive only vibe and, mm-hmm. you know, live, love, laugh. And even though on the surface that may seem to like work for people, no matter what, that shit's going to catch up to you. And it did with me for sure. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no way around doing the hard work, the emotional hard work. Yeah. It's like, I was just going to say from what you said, it's like, you have to deal with it head on. Like you can't just keep pushing it back. I feel like, you know, the whole reason we, well, just like with Quinn, I, at least for me, like my personal life, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I've been dealing with this past year is dealing with issues head on because I'm just like, I can't block these out and just pretend to be this person. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Quay, what were you going to say? I was going to say two things because I wanted to talk about, is that when you had leaned on your ceremonies? And then my other question was, to, then I think we can talk about this after, is like what trauma blocking looks like because I don't know if our listeners um, really know. And so we can we can go through a little bit of that. But I know that I was doing a lot of trauma blocking too when I was in university. And mm-hmm. it was like, uncomfortable doing nothing so I would like work out at 6 a.m go to class work in the work at the bar 
um, go home, sleep, then wake up 6 a.m. And then in the summertime, it would be like work an 8.30 to 4.30, work a 5 to 9. Like I was just always going and never not. And so now in my, now, right now at 32 as well, I'm like, (laughs) hey, making points to like be alone, do nothing, read, um, go for walks alone, like, and go for walks alone and like not listening to podcasts because I do that a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I've, I've realized like how I do it. But before we get into that, when did you start to go to ceremonies and lean on those aspects of your culture? Well, I was raised Christian. Um, I was, yeah. And it wasn't until, I don't know, I went to like youth groups, right, uh, in our community. And that was the first time was I was introduced to like song, ceremony, smudge, like the very like, the very like, I don't want to say basic, but the starting point of like stepping into it and, and just having that, being in that space. And we did like a, like an all girls, like singing group. And it was, it, it really, from that moment, I was like, okay, I am kind of like denouncing my Christianity. I told my mom, I told my grandma, I was like, I'm, this, this doesn't feel right for me anymore. And oddly enough, at the same time that I wasn't feeling connected to it, neither was my mom. And only to find out later, like, well, mom, why did you walk away? Like, I know why I did, but asking mm-hmm. her, why did you? And there were moments where the priest who was also indigenous was saying like, like those Indians are like witches and they're like dev- doing the devil's work. And I didn't know, cause I was in Sunday school. I didn't hear this, but breaking that, like that shame mm-hmm. and that religious control and that indoctrination. And my mom took us, started taking us to um, sweats. So we went to sweats and that's where I got my first name when I was 16. And, and then as I moved away, when I graduated at 18 and I moved, I went to Calgary, I kind of disconnected from it all for a very long time. Like I didn't go to sweat. I didn't go to ceremony. I didn't go to powwows. I didn't, I didn't do anything really, but it was still there. Like knowing like, this is what I believe in ultimately, but I didn't. I didn't feed it or I didn't nourish it or anything or allow it to help guide me. And during those early 20 years, I think I went down like a dark path. Like I partied a lot, you know, I was in a very abusive relationship and I basically had to leave Calgary with my son. And I started over fresh at McEwen university and and then I ended up getting sick in my second year there. So it was um, a, a lot of challenges for sure, for sure. And then getting sick, it, I, that's where I refound and dove deep, deep into ceremony and culture. And I went all the way to the States. You know, I went East, West. Mm-hmm. I met so many people and I sat in these new lodges. And the beautiful thing is my sons got to at their young age. 
So it's not new for them in their 20s, mm -hmm. 30s. It's new for them as little kids. They'll, these will be their memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love too. Um, mm -hmm. For like anyone, because a lot of our kin are disconnected from their culture and you kind of got into it at 16 briefly and then mm -hmm. reconnected back when you were around 28. So um, how did you get involved back? Like, where did you go? Was it somewhere within the city, like uh, the Indigenous Friendship Centers? Or how did you get involved for it? If any of our listeners are just wondering how to make that step. For me, um, when I got sick and I posted online and I basically it started from Facebook. I don't know how Nietzsche that is, but it started from <laughs> for me. Like okay. it was just, and a lot of people were reaching out to me. It, you know, they were reaching out to me like, hey, I'm sorry that, you, you know, you're going through this. You know, I, I know so-and-so or I know someone. And, and then it was just like this big, like this fire start of like connecting the dots. Like how I ended up actually Sundancing my first year is my mom. She went over to university out east um, and she had a friend over there. So her friend, my mom shared one of my stories. Her friend reached out to her. Her name is Pam Plain. I, that, I know who that is. I yes. her sons. <laughs> yeah, so, so Pam uh, let my mom know, hey, there's this, this really gifted medicine man. He holds the Sundance Lodge and a UEP um here's like how you can connect to him and he was he's really really helpful and I was just so open like I think it starts with having that openness and having that intention of welcoming healing welcoming mm -hmm. these new teachings and these lessons it, it starts from there because once you do that honestly it's like a spirit to spirit conversation happening that we are so unaware of and then all of those doors and those relationships and those like opportunities start to show up, mm -hmm. at least for me, then that's my experience yeah. um, for, but for advice for people actively, like, but I can't find anyone I want to learn. And I've been trying. Mm -hmm. um, next best thing I would say is to really access resources, like at a university campus, like who are your knowledge keepers? Do you have any? Um, I don't know, like outreach programs, there's usually indigenous liaisons and just ask and keep asking and being persistent on, on what your needs are. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that you're, you're wanting help with? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a little, it's a lot harder out East than it is here because we, we still have a lot of land. And I know that that's the challenge over there is is like if I wanted to go home and have a ceremony and put up something mm -hmm. done you know and whereas out east like I think it's a little more challenging for you mm -hmm. yeah I find it's more challenging because it, there's so like it, in the city of Toronto where we are we're really yeah. unique we're like a hub like I feel mm -hmm. like it's such a mix of like we're in Anishinaabe but there's free people and then there's Mohawk people and then there's Mi'kmaq people, so we're like we're we're a hub because Toronto is like the the largest. I think we're the largest in Canada, but it's like there's so there's so many. It's hard to be connected to your 
culture or your regional area because even in between me and Grace, we're so there's eight hours between our communities or more than eight, but there's distance between our communities and even we're so different that like in the GTA, it's really hard to be connected with somebody along your lines. But I, I feel like out West, it's a little more, um, not unified, but like there's, there's not as much different nations. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, we're not completely displaced yet. And boy, they better get their shit together because that could happen so fast if they don't get on the same page over here. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, and connecting to your family and knowing where you come from, you know, that that's in who your family is and your kin and connecting mm-hmm. that way, that's always the best start. Mm-hmm true me and grace had talked before and we always think because sometimes we get really overwhelmed about how we're going to change the world and how we're going to impact our people and we're like the best way to do that is to go home and love your own family Mm -hmm. so that's exactly what you're saying yeah 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 and I completely agree because I thought I had this real colonial perception of success like I I think we are of that generation where it's just like Mm -hmm. you see your community in such like you know, shambles almost. And I want to leave. I want to leave and I want to go get educated and I want to make this X amount of dollars and yeah. do this and this and travel, blah, 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 which is all fine and dandy. However, there's always going to be that piece missing. Right. Like now I move back home and I feel like this is the most successful I've ever been. Being able to be back home, work back mm-hmm. home and help, help people that I grew up with, like you know yeah heal their traumas and to me that is that's fucking success not to this figure and when I did my business um it 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 really was more of a healing process for me that's how it came to be oh yeah it wasn't about money at all I was started I started to sew as a form of healing and therapy and connecting to those cook-em spirits Mm -hmm. and letting it like flow through me and learning how to be conscientious of my thoughts Mm -hmm. and 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 everything that I create it's based in that like I think I posted before but I get in this like really happy zone I'll like put like Aretha Franklin on (laughs) and contours and like this really happy music I really love and I'll just sew and I'll like smudge mm-hmm. and every single purse I make I try and put like good energy into it and and it just kind of coincided with everything that was happening with like Black Lives Matter and I was really really sick of the white noise <laughs> like, like this was my way of just kind of drowning that out and helping our people feel empowered mm-hmm. by now when you like someone wears my purse and you see it and, and instantly you see that cook and print and you're like an indigenous person or an ally, yeah. right? And and it's there, it's my way of kind of subtly taking back public spaces oh, and letting yeah. indigenous people feel a little bit empowered because it's so rare that we find ourselves in like mainstream things. Right. And that's so true because 
like what you say about like it's empowering for us it is if we when we were talking about it like when we see girls with beaded earrings we're like are you my friend like or like yeah and like what you said like allies when they wear beaded earrings or like Mm -hmm. oh you're a safe person like whoever we see we're like you're a safe person to me because it's so crazy yeah yeah exactly exactly and it just feels so good like I started to wear like ribbon skirts out in public now like I'm yeah. just like I don't care <laughs> eat it <laughs> yeah um okay so what that was like your how your business started um how do you say the name of it uh Katawasusu Katawasusu yeah Boutique. like Katawasusu Katawasusu yep and what does it mean so go to what is because okay it's bringing the way that we see gender forward so in our worldview Mm -hmm. there's like this genderless line like we don't have like we have masculinity and femininity right but we don't have like male female like we don't have that so we Mm -hmm. have like to spirit, all of it. So it is a very genderless way of saying that someone is beautiful. So if you were to look it up, it would be like he slash she is beautiful. But really it's just putting forward that any and all genders are beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so cool. And that's that, that again, that's like empowering. Like, wow, yeah. now I need, now we all need to go buy a purse. <laughs> yeah and I have um, I have like little jewelry lines as well like um oh your necklace is right Kate, yeah I'm gonna put an order in for a necklace because I, yeah, I love what that means so they're like this this one is like Katawasusu and alphabetical and then I think this one is syllabics oh right yeah Ooh. yeah so in syllabics as well and actually I partnered with this the single mom from up north Mm -hmm. and because I was like yeah I'm gonna order a whole bunch of them but I didn't want to outsource it to like China or something and I was like on the hunt for like I want to give my business to another indigenous business Mm -hmm. so I found her her name is or I don't even know how to say it Pujuku yeah okay cool that's so cool but she's an Inuit mom from up north. So partnership. You, you can find her on Instagram as well. <laughs> That's amazing. We'll link all we'll link all the, the shops in the show notes too. So you guys can make the purchase as well. Yes. Where do you wanna, where do you hope to see your um Kitawasasu boutique in five years and then in 10 years? In five years, okay, so. I finally, because I was just been sewing for my kitchen table, like uh-huh. this whole time. And my kitchen table was just like a mess. Like there was bins everywhere. And it was just getting out of control. <laughs> so now I finally have an office and sewing room. So I'm pretty pumped. Um, so in five years, I actually want to start making more garments, like okay. using more indigenous print and kind of giving it like that in indigenous like 
perception but like a contemporary twist mm-hmm. yeah so I want to do a lot more of that as well would you get into like the business line like business casual like how women can yeah. wear people can wear it in the office yes yes that or like the cool. everyday modern esquil or quick yeah 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 <laughs> so, so for me it was always like I'd wear like a little pantsuit and then I'd have like these big beard beaded earrings. Yeah. Right. So something like that. Um, keeping that in mind for like the working indigenous woman or the young indigenous woman, like someone mm-hmm. that's more like fashion savvy and you don't have to go find like um, boho or indigenous inspired. It's yeah. like indigenous made. Yeah. Indigenous made. Cause I don't know if you remember when we were growing up, Grace, you probably remember too, but there was, maybe when you're 18 19 there was a whole big like Aztec print line and I would like buy it all because I'm like I love it but I I knew it wasn't indigenous made but that was just me trying to be like a fashionista with my culture and then now I'm like okay wait let me buy it's it doesn't matter if it looks indigenous it's matter who make it matters to me now who makes it so um but do you remember that time where like that was a big thing both of you yes was it along the same lines, like when Juicy Pants were in? Yeah, it was around that time. <laughs> I must have been in like my second year, or yeah, my second year of university, so it would have been like twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and now like this new, this younger generation, they're really conscious about all of that. So yeah, there's like this mm-hmm. big shift, like, mm-hmm. like like no fast fashion yeah Um, all about indigenous handmade and I love it I think that like every generation or cycle we just get closer to reclaiming everything Mm -hmm. and I I love to see it Mm -hmm. I agree I agree and there's a lot of like narratives that like our culture is dying we're losing our language when to be honest I think it's actually the opposite I see a lot more like people our age stepping into that and taking it back and reclaiming it hard Mm -hmm. Hard, yeah and and then like my kids know as much Cree as I do now and to me that's a step forward yeah Mm -hmm. Grace you had shared with me before about um how your son no like just knew he was Ojibwe Mm-hmm. Do you wanna, I don't know if you wanted to share that with Ashley. Yeah, so I have, uh, he's going to be five in a couple months. So I guess he's four. Um, and he, we're driving past his school before school started a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, Nico, say hi to your school. And he's like, hi, when I walk in, I'm going to say, I'm Ojibwe. And I was like, yeah. And I was just so proud. Um, but another funny thing that I remembered Um, So I live in Hamilton, Ontario, which is about 45 minutes from Toronto. And um, so there's kind of a mix, like there's a lot of Ojibwe's, but we're also close to Six Nations, which is Mohawk territory. And um, so he went to this preschool, this Indigenous preschool, where they had um, an Ojibwe classroom, which was he was in and a Mohawk. So I think when he was in that school, he he only thought that there was everyone was either Ojibwe and if you're not Ojibwe you're Mohawk so then my husband um, is non-native and he was like mommy 
me and you are Ojibwe and daddy's Mohawk. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And we just like laughed and it was kind of funny and cute. But um, yeah, that's what I love about, you know, like our generation is embracing it so much and where we think it's, it is so important to us, um, but it's modeling what, you know, we want our younger generation to see and to be, and to be strong and to be confident in their identity. So it's so important. Yes, yes, definitely. And that's not saying that there are no challenges because there are tons of challenges. Like, yeah, yeah. whenever there's a push, there's always a pushback. And it's just knowing how to stand firm in that and being okay with other people not being okay. It was, is a lesson I had to learn this year for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, um, so Grace, what question were you gonna ask us? I have a quick question. Do you <laughs> mind me asking you um, what kind of cancer you had? Yeah, well, I still have actually. Um, mm-hmm. So currently I have stage four colon cancer and mm-hmm. I am on chemo, it's called Lonserve. And I take it like one week and then I'll take two day break and then I'll take another cycle and then I'll have a two week break. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I just continue on that. So what it does is it just, I don't know. It, they say it's not going to cure it. However, it's going to maintain it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like living with stage four cancer. So I don't know. Um, and it's, I, I, it could be worse, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm still doing the damn thing. <laughs> like I'm still yeah. working. Yeah. I'm still at the gym and still raising my kids and I'm, I'm happy to still be alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I love like everything you've been talking about. I've just been like absorbing it all. Cause it's so <laughs> like, you know, we all get in those ruts of like, why me? Why is this happening? And just trying to like, how do you dig yourself out of that? Like, cause we're all dealing with something. Um, and you've just been like, just learning about your journey in all aspects have been so inspiring. So I'm just, yeah. So glad that we get to hear it, everything from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, some days I don't even know how I do it. Like there are days where I'm like, I can't believe I've been through all that shit. Wow. And then there are days where I'm just crying. Like, I can't believe I've been through all that shit. Balance. I think, okay, wait, I wanted to say, I think, Korean women are like so strong like I've been like we're Anishinaabe and I've seen a lot of not a lot of Anishinaabe women who are like poised and yeah they get the job done and like they're powerful and beautiful but then there's like a different type of power that I think that I see in Korean women where they're like we're getting the hard work out of the way first and they're like not afraid to tackle things mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm like always so Sometimes when I'm like, okay, I, I was shoveling the driveway and there was ice. And then um, I was telling this to my friends who are Cree and they live in Suzanne Lee. 
And I was like, oh yeah, I think Korean women are so strong. And then they threw an ice pick at, not they didn't throw, they threw, they like handed it to me. They're like, here, get rid of this ice because that's the hardest part first. And like, be a strong Korean woman today. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. Like, not saying that other indigenous women aren't strong because hell yeah, they are. But yeah, like I grew up where, oh my goodness, like being surrounded by it, like, my grandma, she, she did the damn thing. And you might chop on. So my great grandma, she was a part of like the, um, the take back. So there was a residential school here, Blue Quills. Mm -hmm. And she was a part of the whole political movement on like, no, we're taking back our kids and we're going to teach them because you guys, your government has had them long enough and look at what it did. Like Mm -hmm. she literally went over to Europe and told the queen like no we're we're taking our kids back watch us like they're like go ahead you'll fail and and they're like watch us and they did it like there was this collective of them that just got it done and now blue quills is like this strong place to get like your social work you know Mm -hmm. diploma degree and master's now um and then like and she had like 20 kids and she did that and like my grandma, she grew up with like an alcoholic husband that was really abusive. And and she ended up going to teach Cree at the U of A, you know, wow. through it all. And she got her doctorate through it all. Mm-hmm. And then seeing my mom and the relationship with my, my like ex-stepdad and her challenges that she had and you know she got her master's and now she is like teaching the indigenous social work like Mm -hmm. she's the head there and is yeah like so I see it like Mm -hmm. all the time and and it's just kind of like let it be challenging now and complain later (laughs) and it's like we all have that in us we all have that fire um you know like we look at our grandparents and my grandmother's one story she has um you know it's so funny it's like we don't know how many kids they had there's like nine of them maybe but um one of them one of my would have been my uncles did pass away when he was really young and my grandmother couldn't pay some fee to move the body from one place to another, or it was, I don't know what it was. And my grandma said at that point, she never wanted to be without money. And so she worked her butt off. She was, you know, cleaning the schools on the res. Um, Like she did all the background work um, and her and my grandfather became like very successful and well-known, but she was the hard worker behind it all like doing it all. And I just think like, wow, you know, like that obviously is, must have been such a difficult situation, but she um, kept going and changed her direction of where she wanted to go. And I think, you know, story, storytelling is so important to our cultures, no matter where we are across this um, Turtle Island. And I just think, you know, like with you sharing your journey, we're all going to look back and be like, wow, you know, like Ashley did it and she like got through it and I want to be like her. And, you know, eventually 
Quay and I will get more factual and they'll be like, we want to be like Quay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we spit out a lot of random facts. Um, But I want to say, holy, Ashley, your great grandma went and did that. And now you're doing similar work in your own community. Oh my goodness, what a lineage of matriarchs. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like connecting to um to spirit and understanding that when you're praying for in your for healing it's also having this ripple effect to the generations not only forward but behind you as well and I brought their stories and things that they were unable to really address on my own healing journey like bringing them with me and like like my grandma I know there were a lot of things that she really really struggled with um and because she was of that generation of like we don't talk about it mm-hmm. I was able to hold space for her on my own healing and it was so beautiful being able mm-hmm. to like connect with her in those lodges and to have her you know let me know that she was there mm-hmm. it was really really strong and like her strength gave me strength and my strength gave her strength so it's like this two-way street of of healing yeah I'm gonna cry a little bit too (laughs) because you definitely echo like what my mom used to tell me and it was about so she had she's passed but she said like you're never alone yeah and then now now like when we think about like what we're doing in our lives and as we get older we're like Oh yeah, we're never alone. They're always with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's it's true. Honestly, it's so true. Like my auntie Roxanne, she um, I connected with her at McEwen University, and it because I'm not really super connected to my dad's side of my family. Um, when we met each other we were co-workers and then she's like where are you from and I told her and she's like oh my god you're my niece and I was like really and then she taught me how to sew like the basics of sewing and she was the one that taught me like how do you like channel channel all of that and yeah like when you um how to use it as healing and connecting to I'm gonna butcher this, but Notowatayagan, I think how you say it, but like that grandmother spirit that sits in the southeast in our way. Mm-hmm. And um and she just passed away from COVID like a couple weeks ago. And so I bawled my head off when it when I first found out. And then even more so when they were cleaning up her apartment and she had her little like prayer meditation area like I and she had my picture there so all this time she has been calling like helpers mm-hmm. like to to be with me on my journey because um she knows how hard it's been because one we work together and two she's my auntie <laughs> and just knowing that like now I'm a little bit like I don't want to say sad but like there's a sense of peace in, in that knowingness now, now that I've gone through that like realization that she's still going to be here and she's still going to be looking out for me as much as she was when she was alive, you know? So yeah. like just kind of echoing and like what you were saying is like, they're not going to leave us when that love is there and that love is genuine. Like 
they don't just up and leave. <laughs> like they got your back mm-hmm. in this world and then in the next. So I feel comfortable sharing with you guys that I've had dreams before and my mom and she's been like, you think I would ever leave you? Or she's like <laughs> folding the laundry or like doing the dishes and she's like laughing. Like, do you think I'll ever leave you? And then I wake up and I'm like, oh yeah, they're always with us. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Cool. So, so what a, I, <laughs> I was going to say, what a turn that took. Yeah, I was just going to say that too. I was yeah. like, our, our, our like conversation is just kind of going everywhere. <laughs> okay, before we wrap up, I want, we talk about self-care. Oh, okay, before we even that, thank you so much for being like so open so honest with us and like I feel like we've been connecting with you like you've been our friend for so long um so yeah so thank you for that really good connection um something that we talk about on this podcast is about Mm self-care and like you can't fill from an empty cup so how and maybe maybe it's like with weightlifting but like how have you been able to refill your cup um because we're looking for tips so currently, um, when I do self-care, uh, I actually, I've been so blessed to find a therapist. She's a Guichen woman and she specializes in like sexual violence. And it took so long to find an indigenous woman that is a registered psychologist, someone that just gets it. They just get it. Like I don't have to teach. Um, So I spend time speaking with her a lot and just kind of like unloading a lot of things and working through things and looking at myself and like my behaviors and my coping mechanisms. Um, That is really, really helpful for me. And that's just for me. Um, Other ways I do self-care, I, aside, I go to the gym. (laughs) That, that's kind of like my go-to. And I just, I just feel really good. Like after, like, of course there's the biological understandings of why that is, but on a spiritual level, I just feel really good. And I'll, I'll go to sweat lodges and I like to go to like women's ceremonies and things like that. Um, sewing is a big part of my self-care and healing. That's how it started. And it just kind of took off. <laughs> like unintentionally took off um and because I'm Cree (laughs) and I like to face that hard stuff (laughs) I'm very much in this space of anti-healing so learning how to put up those boundaries on things that are anti-healing for me um whether that's severing relationships with people that refuse to address their toxic behaviors, um, kind of walking away from that and learning that I can't fix everyone and I can't fix everything. All I can do is work on me and set the tone for my boys. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. it. And that's all. Um, And that's kind of been a really big lesson. And I know I'm going to be the bad guy in a lot of people's stories, but that's okay. And learning how to accept that it's okay to be the bad guy in some people's stories because you got to be the hero in your own. Mm-hmm. 
yeah those are just a few of the things I do <laughs> I love that thank you mm -hmm. and I guess I don't know if your listeners will even know like well, what did she go through um I guess I could give it like a quick rundown Okay. If, yeah, if you feel comfortable sharing that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if you haven't listened to the two peas and crees in a pod, um, basically in May of 2018, like I had already shared that um, around the time my baby was turning three, I had a tumor the size of my fist blocking my large intestine and it ruptured like 80% of my colon. And I had to get that removed. And then I had a temporary ostomy bag. And at that time, they diagnosed me with stage two colon cancer. And I did my first round of chemo. Like I did four rounds of my first chemo. Um, and that was just supposed to be for like a preventative measure that, you know, we're just gonna make sure that the cancer didn't spread okay, sure. And I was so mad and hurt that year because I felt like the medical system really um, let me down because prior to that happening, I was consistently going to the doctor, consistently going to the doctor and they would just give me pain meds, different pain meds. Okay, we're going to try a different pain med without actually doing any intervention. Um, and went through that and then the cancer came back cancer came back and they had to take out more parts of my colon. And at this point I was so let down by them that I, I kind of refused service for like six months. And I just, this, this is when my deep spiritual journey started. And I went to the States and I sundanced my first year and I really, really learned how to strengthen my mind and learn how to block out those negative, you're gonna die. Those mm -hmm. thoughts that could get in your mind and really, once they're there and you allow those thoughts to manifest and grow, it, it'll like, it'll take over. And I see this a lot with like other cancer patients or people that, you know, I'm sitting next to or in a hospital lying next to and you, you you just can't help but start up conversation. Right. And the ones that are like, yeah, the doctor said I have, you know, six months to live. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I'm just going to die. I'm going to pass away. And I know it. They usually end up passing away. And, and, and then the people that are like, the doctors aren't God. You know, mm -hmm. they're the ones that are living here for five years more, 10 years more, 20 years more. Yeah. And so be, being given that, that skill or that gift to be able to really like filter external thoughts and external energies was so fundamentally crucial for me to learn on my own healing journey. Like, what, what do you want for you, Ashley? How do you want your life to fold out? What intentions are you going to set for yourself? How are you going to ask for guidance from like things that are beyond the seeable? 
Like those are all things that I really, really needed to learn how to do. And then when I came back and I went go get another test, like the cancer kind of spread a little bit, not too much, but enough that I had to get another surgery. So more and more things got cut out. Um, and in between, I ended up doing another strongman competition and I was still going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and more surgeries, more surgeries, and then did another round of chemo. And this chemo made me like lose my hair. And it was really, really difficult. Now it's like back in that stage one of like, who I see in the mirror and who I feel inside, they don't align. And that that's like this when I started playing with makeup. So makeup was also a way for me to, to access self care and to lift myself up. Um, And yeah, and pushing forward and doing more like red talks and doing more interviews and just putting my work out there because now I was kind of like on this, this rampage of like, really having that middle ground for Western medicine to make space for Indigenous knowledge and healing practices. Because I was I'm like, I'm living proof. You know, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. You guys said I was supposed to die already, like twice now, and I'm still alive. So pushing forward and like being heard. And um, I decided to get married, got married. Yeah, (laughs) it was a really beautiful wedding. And um, then I had the biggest surgery in 2020, in January, yeah, in January, 2020. It was like the mother of all surgeries. So on that surgery, they removed more of my colon and lots of parts in my abdomen walls. They gave me a complete hysterectomy. They took parts of my liver. They took my gallbladder. Uh, They took my left kidney. So when I woke up, uh, like, and then I had like a permanent ostomy bag now. it, it took a long time to really heal from that surgery because they gave me a high peck, whereas basically they like cut me open. They, they, they like removed a whole bunch of things, including the tumors. And then they closed me and they did like a chemo wash where they like put chemo on me and they, they like heated me up and then they reopened me and they cleaned it out. So my body has been through like a lot. And, in, and before that, surgery um the fall I had parts of my left lung moved as well and then the last surgery I had was last year around Halloween where they they took out some more parts of my abdomen wall and more parts of my colon and in my pelvic area Mm -hmm. so that was the last of the surgeries that they said that they were going to give me um and they had told me and then I did two more chemos in between. So I'm on my fourth, fifth chemo now. My fifth chemo. And it's like $10,000 around. Like, I know. I didn't know so, like, exactly how much it cost. Yeah. So they really need to address the cost of mm-hmm. healthcare because this has been the most effective chemo that I've ever been on. And it took going through all of that to be able to access it. Like this should have been like step one. Yeah. 
Um, so they basically try to now say like, well, if this chemo doesn't work, you're on palliative care. And how many times they told me that I was going to die now, I can't, mm. I, I, lost, I don't have enough fingers to count. And that I need to get my affairs in order. And like, at one point in my life, like last year, I was planning my own funeral, you know. Mm. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> no. I was like, girl, no, you're not doing this. Like, stop feeling sorry for myself. And I was like, I'm yeah. done. I'm you done. Should your mind again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, no, you're not doing this. You're not feeding this. Like, yeah, get up, get up and do something. And then I turned to sewing. I was like, I, I need to keep busy because I was on medical EI mm-hmm. um, because COVID hit, right? And yeah. because I'm immune compromised, like, my body was so weak and I was on all of these different chemos for years. Um, so I stayed home with the boys and taught them at home. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going nuts. My mental health is deteriorating. I need to do something. So I just started a business. Oh, just started a business yet? Yeah. <laughs> that was so simple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, yeah, that was not the perfect timing for a pandemic at all. No. no 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 um and then so if your last surgery was last halloween and then yeah. now you're back a year you're back in the weightlifting or just lifting yes uh, yes i actually prior to like the this last surgery before that i wasn't really giving myself time like mm-hmm. i got um an ostomy removal in December once, in December 2019, and then March 2020, I was already weightlifting. Like I was competing, full-blown competing. Oh. And I got, I think I got third place at that competition. Um, but I, I, I wasn't giving myself that time. Mm-hmm. And so learning how to be like, this isn't, this isn't who you are, Ashley. This is just what you do. Like, yeah learning how to like detach you know parts of your identity and that way I had to learn how to do and take a step back and be like you're gonna be okay if you don't lift (laughs) you're gonna be okay Mm -hmm. so I rested for a whole year and let my body rest and you know absorb the traditional medicines let it absorb the chemo let it work in that way and now I'm at a space where I could do this and I don't need to kill myself over it. I don't need to be competitive about it. It's just mm-hmm. for me. And it's just something that I need just for me and nobody else. And mm-hmm. where in the past it was like, you need to be inspirational and you need to reach <laughs> out to all of these people and you need to uplift the indigenous communities and you need to have this weight on your shoulder. Meanwhile, I'm struggling with like stage four cancer and just getting out of the bed was challenging. So being able to just like cut those expectations off and those pressure. That's why I I needed to make that previous post of like, this is for me, y'all. Like, yeah. And now I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And I missed it. I was like deadlifting. I was like, fuck, that was hard, but fuck, it felt good. (laughs) I feel like, okay, I don't know if you saw this yet or heard this yet, but Willie Corn Miller she talks about working out and she said it's her own ceremony. Like it's a ceremony for herself. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the way you have to think about it. Because we can also, like like you're saying, like we can get so, I don't know, warped into our thinking about when we're working out, like who we're doing it for, why we're doing it. Like maybe some people are doing it for fat loss or whatever, because they're not happy. But it's like more about it is that ceremony with yourself and doing it for it you. Is. It is. And, and that totally makes sense because there are ritualistic steps that you take like before like say you deadlift or before you squat and it's like ritual of like getting a position Mm -hmm. bracing at this moment you know having the bar at this specific spot coming down the timing of it like Mm -hmm. it's all very ritualistic and that is very ceremonial yeah or like even before you go like when you're getting your bag ready like if you take bcas or something or like the shoes you wear to to squat and deadlift versus your other shoes like yeah 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 and and now I think my next sort of move is to really like sort of address and redefine ableism because I feel like I've really voiced on on gender I've really tried to voice on racial diff- mm-hmm. like inequalities and now the ability and disability because I have a permanent ostomy and you know there's this big stereotype or stigma that like no you need to just like calm down just don't do anything and then that's so debilitating in itself but it's like Mm -hmm. no we could do this a lot like we could do it (laughs) I think that's a thank you for your time and sharing I think that's a really you've kind of like led into your next step and stuff. And like, I think that's really great right now for us to say anything like what, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, Grace, maybe cut that out and we'll restart it. Um, I have so many more questions to ask you, but I think we'll have you back on another episode later on. Um, but I, I really wanted to thank you for sharing. And then now we know what is next for you with that. Um, your next mission, I guess. Your <laughs> next quest. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for being here, sharing so much. And I feel like you're our, our Cree cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if I ever come out east, I have a place to stay. You have two <laughs> places to stay. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to camp on your couch. <laughs> yeah, thank you again, Ashley, for being on this podcast. It was so great getting to know your story and talking to you personally. Um, I'm just inspired. So thank you again so much. Yes, of course. So thank Thanks you to our listeners. And um, and thank you for coming on our chapter two. We'll see you again before we end this chapter, but also in chapter three, whenever that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wonderful. So your podcast, Andy, is know that life can be tough. And we want to end our episode with promoting the Hope for Wellness talk line. The Hope for Wellness Um, Helpline offers immediate help to all Indigenous people across Canada. It is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, to offer counselling and crisis intervention. 
Life can be tough and we've all been there. So call the toll-free helpline at 1-855-242-3310 or connect online to their chat at hopeforwellness.ca. And remember that your podcast aunties love you.